Welcome to Clearview Community Church Online. My name's Clayton, and I'm one of the pastors here. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So this is the closing conversation in a series of conversations about Advent. Now, the Advent season happens on the church calendar during the Christmas time, and it serves as a season where the church places themselves into the storyline of the people of the New Testament, the people who are waiting for the Messiah to arrive. And today, now, we speak about how we wait for the return and the arrival of Christ today. So to start, we need to begin with the storyline of the Bible. Now, part one is creation. When God creates all of creation, the Bible begins the story with the line, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There was formlessness, emptiness, and darkness. And what happened there was it was then turned into a brilliant array of lights and waters and greenery. Following that, the animals on the land and the water, stars in the sky, and eventually, humanity was created as the image of God-bearing beings in the universe. His desire for relationship with them was demonstrated in Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We're shown there in Genesis that God not only creates humanity to have his image, but to rule over creation, to steward it, to care for it, to act in its best interests, and to flourish as a species themselves. And this is going along, be done all alongside him. Notice that in Genesis 2, verse 15 and 17, God speaks directly to Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. It's a conversation. So it shows us that he's at least very close in proximity. And there's another fascinating note in Genesis chapter 3 that states that the man and his wife Eve actually heard the Lord as he was walking around in the Garden of Eden. The creation narrative in Genesis paints a few really important pictures and makes a few key points of observation for those of us reading it and listening it today. So first, God is powerful over all the unordered chaos. Second, God is powerful over all creation. Third, God has made humans in his image. And fourth, God wishes to rule creation with and alongside the humans. And this leads us to the second part of the story, the fall. Maybe you've heard the story. God commands Adam and Eve to eat anything they'd like, but not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Well, I'd like to propose that in the human and God partnership of ruling and subduing creation, that the knowledge of what is good and what is evil was meant to come from God. Who greater to differentiate between what is right and what is wrong, to clearly define how to live within desires and plans and having hopes, and how to channel those things into not only healthy, but right and good ways of justice and goodness? Who better than the person who created the entirety of the creation that we are existing in. But as the story is presented to us, Adam and Eve decide to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Deceived and tempted by Satan, they choose the first act of rebellion by humankind. 
not just eating a piece of fruit, but deciding that they should have the place of deciding what is good and what is evil. Symbolically saying to God, we do not need you. We don't want you. And this rebellion is called sin. One great teacher that I appreciate phrases it in this way that maybe it helps you. That sin brings death and destruction into God's good world. That which was good is now corrupted by death. Death that humanity experiences and all of creation experiences in the deterioration of life and, and then also destruction. The impact, implications, and consequences of sin, that destruction roams around chaotically in the goodness of creation. So each of us deals with sin in our own lives and sin in the world around us that impacts us with its death and destruction in various different ways. And so this leads us to our third act of the, redemption, of the play, redemption. Every great story has this. Luke Skywalker comes to rescue the princess. Nemo's father, Marlin, does whatever it takes to bring him home. Aslan enters into the winter to bring the summer. In the redemption story of humanity, we find the hero in the person of Jesus. The storyline of the Bible is full of moments where God rescues humanity. One of the greatest moments is where he frees the Israelite nation from the oppressive slavery in Egypt. Miracle after miracle and moment of power after moment of power occur and the people are rescued. Now the life of Jesus presents us with how he redeems or rescues humanity. He first comes as a child that will be titled Emmanuel, a Hebrew name meaning God with us. And his parents call him Jesus, meaning our God saves. And Jesus comes to earth fully God and fully human, which to be fair is a difficult reality to grasp sometimes. And he becomes the substitution for all the rebellion against God. He takes his perfect non-rebellion and he offers it to us. And in exchange, he takes on the rebellion and the sin of the entire race. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 tells us that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And this verse speaks to the fact that Jesus took our place, the sinless one for the sinful people. Furthermore, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter writes from his eyewitness experience. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So this redemption story, it's centralized around a single person, the person of Jesus Christ, who took away the sins of the world and began to establish what he would call the kingdom of God. Now, there were different kingdoms throughout the ancient world that Jesus is walking around in, but Jesus comes and presents the establishment of a new one. And it was not a kingdom ruled by the elite and the powerful or the ones with the military strength. This was a kingdom of abstract people. It was a kingdom of the outcasts, the ones that the social structures mislabeled and pushed away. Their defining characteristics were not characteristics of power, but of kindness, generosity, sacrifice, and love. 
And this leads us to the fourth act, the final part of the story, restoration. On the cross, when Jesus sacrifices himself for the sins of the world, he makes a remarkable statement. And he says, it is finished. His kingdom is established. The saving act of sacrifice has been done. But let's look at this for a minute. You and I, we live on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that there is still sin in this world. The world still suffers through the death and destruction of sin in God's good world. So what do we do with that? Well, the Bible tells us about the Christian hope that is rooted in a return of Jesus. Now, Romans 8 tells us, For creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And 2 Peter chapter 3 states, In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where the righteousness dwells. So these are two important and key verses that give us a few observations. First, it makes sense to be dissatisfied with the present state of evil in this world. And instead, we wait in eager anticipation for it to be gone, to be completely and fully finished. And then the second observation, the promise of the completion of the restoration of creation looks like a hope of a new heaven and a new earth. This new heaven and new earth concept, it's best shown to us in the revelation of John chapter 21. It's the last section of your Bible and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this is a fascinating part of the biblical storyline that sometimes we miss or maybe at very least underplay. The Christian hope for humanity is not that we escape our human existence and spend eternity among the fluffy clouds with angels playing harps and there's bright colors everywhere. The fullness of the Christian hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that he established, existing though as heaven meeting earth, the fullness and unbroken and unhindered relationship with our loving heavenly father and humanity fully restored. Notice that the passage states that God's dwelling place is with the people. It's very similar to the story presented in the Garden of Eden, where God speaks and walks with humanity. And later on in chapter 21 of Revelation, John notes, he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. See, the picture that we are given is one of the restoration 
is not that humanity has exited and it ha that humanity has escaped being human, but humanity that experiences a restored human condition. That, experience what, that experiences what it means to be fully human. It's a life without death, without mourning, crying, or pain. A life of unbroken and unhindered relationship in the presence of God. New Testament historian and scholar N.T. Wright puts it like this. This is the final accomplishment of God's great design. To defeat and abolish death forever, which can only mean the rescue of creation from its present plight of decay. There will be an experience where there is no separation of heaven meets earth reality, but a fullness of a life with God, the fullness and completeness of the kingdom of God that Jesus has established. So the return of Christ and the fullness of the kingdom, these are parts of the Christian hope. But now what do I do? How do I respond? I want to present you a word. Faith. Faith that God has done what he has done and is going to do what he is going to do. Faith because what has been done is that Jesus has died for the sins of the world, including you and including me. That he has defeated sin, death, evil, and destruction in his life and his death and his resurrection. The Bible tells us that if we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. And faith in Jesus does not mean like we don't live like we're our own savior or rescuer trying harder and harder. It actually means we place our faith and our trust away from ourselves and rest it in the work that has been done. That Jesus has taken care of the sin problem in the world once and for all. Would you receive that he has done that for you? And so that's what's been done, but let's remember what he is going to do. You see, rescue requires a hope. If you are lost at sea and you are rescued, the hope is that the rescue will be complete and you will see dry land again. You will see your family again. And the relationships that had been lost will be restored. And the Christian hope is that the relationship that has been harmed between God, humans, and creation, it will all be restored in what N.T. Wright called God's great accomplishment. I know that throughout church history, this conversation about the return of Christ and the rapture, it's often been a controversial one. There's debates about the details and all kinds of ideas that abound. But the one thing that we know that most all can agree upon that I want to leave you with today, the hope of the world, the hope of creation, is not in powers, governments, policies, or even the people that you look up to. The hope of the world is to make all things right again. And that is centered in Jesus Christ and his great love for you. Tim Keller wrote in his book, Jesus is King, that this can be your story as well. God made you to love him supremely, but he lost you. He returned to get you back, but it took the cross to do it. And he absorbed your darkness so that the one day you can finally and dazzlingly, dazzlingly become your true self and take your seat at his eternal feast. My reminder today is that it's going to be put right because of the person of Jesus. So let's pray. God, we take a moment and pause, and as we exit the Advent season, we remember that despite the difficulty and danger and desperation of this world, that you'll return and set all things right again. You've done it through your son and his sacrifice for us. And so we remember today that we are saved not because of our accomplishments, but because of yours. You have defeated death and defeated destruction, and you give us life. And we look forward to the day where we are brought into the fullness of your kingdom and fullness of relationship with you. 
So Lord, thank you for loving us enough to do it. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So thanks for joining us today at Clearview Community Church Online. If you would like to touch base, if you'd like to have somebody pray with you, or you have anything to ask about in terms of life, faith, the Bible, God, church, feel free to reach out to us via our website, clearviewcommunity.church, and we would love to hear from you. So God bless you, and we'll see you next time.